welcome to the Be Glad Movement. My name's Pollyanna and I'm on a mission to bring you as many stories as possible of good coming out of bad and reasons to be glad. Having already shared my very first in-person interview with you in the last episode, episode two, I thought I would skip right ahead to what I originally imagined was going to be the very last interview. Well, I thought it would be when I started this project anyway. It's funny to listen back to the beginning of this episode now and hear how elated I was to have hit the target of 100 stories. At the time, I did already know I had some other people lined up for January interviews and I certainly wasn't going to turn any good stories down, but I also knew I needed to dedicate a little less time to the Be Glad movement and get my coaching business back on track. Reflecting back now, the end of the challenge was actually the start of what was to become an emotionally confusing time for me, but that's a story for another day. So who was story 100? It was none other than the fantastic Dwayne Fields and what an absolute delight he was to talk to. Such an incredible story of moving to London from Jamaica, the adjustments he had to make, from trying to fit in to remembering who he really was at the core of his soul. I'll stop waffling on now and let you listen to this remarkable man. Oh, and make sure you stay tuned to the end to hear my strained attempt at remembering and singing a song from when I was in the Girl Guides. So without further further ado, let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Be Glad Movement. My name's Pollyanna and I'm on a mission to bring you as many stories as possible of good coming out of bad and reasons to be glad. And this morning I am joined by Dwayne. Say hello, Dwayne. Hey, Pollyanne. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on. I'm super excited to be recording your video because you are actually my number one one hundred. You're the you're the end. You mark the end. Yes. You know what? I'm I'm so pleased. I'm the end of something that you started. That's amazing. And to be number one hundred. Um. Normally people would be number one, but for me, one hundred top marks. You're, Thanks. You're crowning glory of this um of this project so thank you so much um i am gonna get out of oh and just to reassure everyone i'm actually going to carry on this isn't the end of the big lab movement i'm going to carry on collecting stories but it's the end of the challenge for 2018 so anyway without further ado i'm going to hand over to you Dwayne, and i'm going to let you tell your story so far away thank you oh right so i'm gonna start with when i first arrived here in the uk now imagine me but six years old almost seven uh coming to this new world where i guess i had no idea of what to expect because it's not like when you're leaving one country and going to another country they say give you a list of things to expect for example i didn't know about uh houses being three four five six seven floors high i didn't know about double decker buses um prior to coming to the uk I knew about, I don't know, uh, larders. These are some taxi cars, some old cars from the 1980s, early 90s in Jamaica. I knew about motorbikes. I didn't know about double-decker buses. I didn't know about um, huge superstores. I didn't know about mega stores. I didn't know you can go into Sainsbury's and all these things. And actually, one of the biggest shocks for me was I didn't know that ice comes out of the sky. Um, oh. I didn't know that it snowed and no one told me this. And I remember my first experience with snow. Um, I woke up one night and it was really bright outside. And I remember I looked out the window and there was snow on the floor. Well, the floor was white and the sky was white and there was bits falling. I thought, this is it. The sky's falling. It's the end of the world. I'm going to die. And I cried myself back to sleep. So that gives you an idea of how new this whole world was to me. 
Yeah, oh bless your heart. <laughs> and remind us where you were coming from because you So said... I was coming. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, as we say, where 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 had you grown up? Tell me tell us about where you've grown up until you were six. Mm-hmm. So prior to coming here, I lived in Jamaica. That's where I was born. And I was born in a particularly rural part of Jamaica, um, just outside of the town of Linstead. Now wow. it was so rural in fact they call it the back of the bush. Um and I had the amazing thing about that is I had all the freedoms I could hope for as a child. So uh-huh. it was part of uh, maybe six or seven houses in a small community and everyone knew each other. So the kids were allowed to play outside. I'd wake up in the morning and I'd be outside. I had pets, I had dogs, there was cats around, um, there's a pig. Um, there was a list of pets. So I had a really, really good, as far as I was concerned, great childhood. And oh. I had the freedom to go and come as I pleased. I uh-huh. spent my days climbing trees, out in the fields, out in the forest, just, I don't know. One day I'd be putting my hand into a termite's nest to find a, a baby parrot. The next day I'd be digging through a, a, a pond to find out what was at the bottom of it. Right, yeah. it Really, It was a really free, um, free childhood. And yeah. I guess no responsibilities whatsoever, no cares or worries in the world. And that changed because when I first came here, I came to a mum that I didn't really know. Right. And I guess here you don't have the freedoms that you had that, that I had in Jamaica anyway. I couldn't go outside for the whole day by myself um, at age six, seven. I couldn't just wander around fields or forests or ponds or, you know, pools of water, streams near my house. It just wasn't the done thing. Um, yeah, and to give an indication again. Sorry. Yeah, so, um, yeah, no, 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 that's fine. I did eventually settle in Hackney, but for the first year and a half, two years, I, I was in Palmer's Green. Right. Um, to give you an ind- indication of how different this world was again, I remember there was one thing that I did where I, I saw a nest in the top of a tree and I thought, ooh, what's in that nest? So my seven-year-old mind is asking me what's in that nest and I'm so drawn by it. Eventually I climbed the tree and it was a massive oak tree and I knew I was doing something wrong because I started to gather a crowd at the bottom. So I went up there and I put my hand in the nest and it was a squirrel and I came down with a baby squirrel in my hand and people were saying things like, oh, you should put it back. And I thought, but it's a baby squirrel in Jamaica. I would just take it home and it would be my pet. It wouldn't be a problem. And that again indicates how my mentality was still on the old country. Sure, sure. And why wouldn't it be? You know, first six years of your life, you lived that kind of lifestyle to suddenly being dropped in the middle of London. You know, there's such a massive contrast. So, uh, so yeah, tell us what it was like starting school and that kind of thing. Starting school for me in, in the earliest time when I got to London was really, really difficult. Um, I don't think everyone realised how difficult it was, in fact. I didn't make any friends. I couldn't make friends easily. Again, because the world I was coming from, I didn't have things like magazines and I didn't have cartoons. We didn't even have electricity in our house, so I couldn't watch TV. There was dialogue the kids were having that I couldn't share and be a part of. Sure. And in fact, I only had one friend and that was the boy that the teacher put me next to on day one that said, look, sit next to this guy. He'll show you the ropes. Um, that was the only person that hung around with me. And I thought to myself, well, this is really sad. And it was really, it made me anxious, really anxious. I remember going into the lunchroom and being nervous walking in because I didn't know what lunch to choose. Oh. I'm coming from a place where we didn't have, I don't know, cake and custard. We didn't have burger and chips. We didn't have... Uh, I don't know, letter chips or chicken nuggets. We, you know, so everything to me was brand new. And I don't think anyone took that into account. So what I did was I would just pick up whatever the person in front of me picked up 
and hope that it tasted good. Um, for, a few, for a few weeks, I realized that, do you know what? I'm really struggling to make friends. I have to do something. So I decided to, to call on the one tool that I knew and enjoyed, which was the outdoors or wildlife. And I thought to myself, ah, how can I use this as a vehicle to make friends? So I decided I'm going to teach the kids something about animals or insects. And I went into the school garden and it backfired so badly. I went into the school gardens and I, um, I dug through underneath these logs and I picked up a handful of wood lice and whatever else was crawling around. And I ran over to this group of kids and I was like, look, this is a wood lice and there's the mum and she carries her babies on us. And before I could finish the sentence, everyone screamed and ran away from me. And I was left in the playground holding a handful of dirt and insects. And that for me was the moment where I decided, um, do you know what, Dwayne, just do what everyone else does. Forget what you think you know and just do what everyone else does. And um, I carried that mentality on for a long time. Uh, I was seven when that happened. And I literally, I remember actually thinking, if you continue being yourself, you will never make friends. And at that point, I decided, okay, look, um, just just do what everyone else does. Keep your head down. If they say go left, just go left. Don't go against the grain. Don't upset anyone. Don't do what, what you feel to do. And I did something else in school as well. So this was my infant school. And I did something else in school. And I remember it. I'll remember it forever. It was my very first lie. And I told this lie because I was embarrassed that I didn't know what a TV character was. My teacher said, guys, today we're drawing our favorite TV characters and we're going to tell stories about them. Um, Bear in mind, I'd never, I didn't know who Turtles were. I didn't know who Thundercats were or Popeye or Danger Man. I didn't know any of these characters. And when she said this, I thought, oh God, everyone's going to know that I don't know a character. I don't have any friends. So I copied my my friend, the, the, the boy that was sat next to me. And... The teacher came over and as teachers do when you're that age, oh, that's an amazing drawing. Who is it? And in my head, I thought, just tell her it's Popeye and pray that she doesn't ask anything else because you don't know. Right. So I said, it's Popeye, miss. And I remember being so stressed and anxious that she was going to ask me something else. Um, she was a beautiful teacher. I love her to bits, but I was, I was so anxious that she's going to say, oh, what does Popeye do? Or, or right. who's Popeye's friends? And I wouldn't have an answer. Uh, I was anxious that my accent made me stand out and I didn't want to stand out by having an accent and not knowing stuff and the fact that I'd lied that this is my favourite TV character. Right. Luckily, she didn't ask me anything, but that was how my life was in the very, very early early stages of me arriving here. Mm. Um, now, that was in Palmer's Green. A year or so later, we moved to Hackney in East London and I mentioned the pattern that I'd gotten into, which is just keep your head down, do what everyone else does. Uh, living on an estate in Hackney, um, it was easy because it's expected that you do what everyone else does. It's not you deciding for yourself. It's it's almost uh, towing the line. So right. I arrived on this estate, and one of the things that I found most boring was sitting on a bench for five, six, seven hours throughout the day and playing football in a cage for the other five or six, seven hours. And it was the most boring thing. But right. I bit my tongue. And I did it every weekend or every day after school. I did it and we'd go to the park and we might go to the corner shop and then we'd come back to the men. I hated every second of it. I would have much rather been out up a tree digging through some rocks or lifting a log or wading through a pond. But I, I, I did it because it was the easiest way to fit in and I didn't want to stand out. And yeah. I spent all my teen years doing that. 
there was times where there were jokes that I didn't find funny, but I laughed because again, I didn't want to be isolated. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of young people in that same situation now. They're just looking for a way out. Um, I remember an incident where I secretly, with me and my brother, I secretly made a moped. So we bought bits and pieces. Uh, we built this moped. I was always really good with my hands. And I did a lot of um, building and I guess tinkering secretly yeah. because that's not something that you promote to your friends, especially when your friends are your, I want to say stereotypical black, young, um, hip, you know, with it kind of inner city youth. Right. You're expected to be into music and music videos and you're expected to be loud and boisterous. And I was a, I was a tinkerer. I loved tearing one thing apart as much as my mom hated it, tearing apart one thing and making something up. So sure. I built this moped from absolute scratch. Uh, I tested it. I crashed and I hurt myself and I rebuilt it. And I made my younger brother test it. <laughs> and he was pushed off of it. He was pushed off of it and it was taken by some boys um, from another estate. Oh. And something in me on that day clicked. And I decided that this is it. I, I, I can't do this anymore. And I walked down to that estate. I was so angry. I marched onto the estate and it's not something that you do. Um, mm. Not something that anybody would, should, or, or, or I would encourage to do. I marched onto the estate and sure enough, there was eight or nine boys tearing this bike apart. Um, taking the bits they wanted and I walked over with my younger brother I told him to you know just hang back a bit I walked over I said look I'm taking the bike it's mine um yeah. I was pretty certain that I would be I assumed that they would um be violent towards me right I didn't expect um what happened to happen and I'll go into more detail my expectations were I would walk on there um, they'd probably, I don't know, hit me once or twice, kick me, and eventually I'd walk out with the bike. That was my expectation. Right. Um, but I marched onto the estate and I was really angry. And I said, look, I'm taking the bike. And for the most part, they said, look, it's, it's rubbish anyway. We'll take it. We didn't want it. Yeah. And as I was picking up the bits and pieces, I noticed that one boy had one piece in his hand. And it was about, it was about a foot long by about an inch and a half across. And I said, look, I'm taking that as well. And I snatched it out of his hand. And... As I turned to walk away, he pushed me and I turned back and pushed him. Uh, as I pushed him, he, he stumbled and fell. Mm -hmm. And as he fell, I guess, I don't know whether it's embarrassment or whether it was, but um, he, he walked away and I thought that was the end of it. Right. And as I was bending down to pick up all the other bits, a minute or two later, he came back and he had a loaded gun. And mm -hmm. at the time, I know at the time, um, I remember thinking, I remember looking at my brother who was right next to me, also picking up some bits and pieces. And I kind of ushered him to the side and I stepped away. And as the guy pulled the gun and raised it, he was probably about three, four, maybe five meters away. It was probably about 10, 15 feet away. Right. And I remember looking at him and kind of having my hands out to the side, just saying, look, you don't have to do that. And before I could finish, I remember he pulled the trigger and I looked over at my brother again. And I looked back at him and I remember he caught the weapon and I remember seeing the bullet come out the side. Oh. And I remember he, he pointed at me and pulled the trigger again. And um, at this point, before he could do it a third time, um, some of the guys kind of grabbed him and said, look, it's not worth it, what you're doing? And, yeah. and took him away. And I remember stopping and just checking because I knew there was no way you could miss from, from there. And when you're looking straight down the barrel of a gun, and you hear a sound. I mean, it could be the sound of a waterfall. It could be the sound of a train. It all sounds like a bullet coming. It, it 
it just sounds like the guns just said bang. Right. And, um, I remember just hearing the click and it misfired twice. It, I, I don't know how I was really, really lucky or blessed or both. Sure. And it misfired twice. And I remember thinking, that's it. I've been shot. He could not have missed. And in the eight or nine minutes it took us to walk home, I remember I stopped maybe three or four times. <laughs> to check just to, just to check because I couldn't believe it. And again, between that same seven, eight, nine minutes, it took us to walk home. I remember on my phone, I had maybe three or four messages saying, oh, we heard what happened. And I kept thinking, well, I didn't tell anyone. How, how did you guys hear this? But I, didn't, I wasn't ready to face anyone because I knew they would say, let's get this guy, let's go and get him, or we should do this. And I didn't want to be influenced. I didn't want to do anything. I was happy I had my bike. I was happy my brother was there. And I was yeah. just as happy that I hadn't been shot. And I remember I went home and I decided, look, I can't do this anymore. I need to... I, I remember looking at my phone first of all, and there were messages that said, what happened? We heard what happened. Let's. I know where we can get this guy. I know where he lives. And I All thought, right. I'm just so happy to be here. I don't want to pursue this. I, and because of that, I put the phone down and I, I became a recluse for about a week and a half, two weeks. I didn't go outside, didn't see anyone. And I decided that if I did try and get this guy back, it wouldn't be because I wanted to. It'd be because I'm again, towing the line or again, doing what I need to do to fit in. Sure. And that said, I said, I just made a decision. I was going to go back to being me. And whether people liked me or not, that was it. And it was really tough to make that decision. And I think it was even tougher to implement it because right. it's, it's, it's so difficult to be isolated. And when you've been somebody other than yourself for 15 years or thereabouts, it's hard to remember who yourself is. And all I could think about was this weird little kid that loved the outdoors, loved animals and loved walking and climbing and jumping. And how do you do that now as an adult? Uh, so for me, it was how do I recreate myself or how do I reinvent myself while staying true to myself? Um, a friend of mine said, look, Dwayne, we're doing the, it was a guy from out of, out of London. He lived really far away. He's a, one of my workmates partners. He said, oh, Dwayne, you'd be great for this. I think you'd love this. Would you like to do the three peaks with us? And I thought, wow, perfect timing. I'm going to do the three peaks. And uh -huh. I did it and I absolutely loved it. And I thought to myself, do you know what? I did it. I raised some money for charity and it feels amazing. I've made some really good friends along the way. These people like me for who I am, not for what I'm pretending to be. So great. I'm going to do this more. And I just carried on doing that and, and more and more things until I eventually ended up at the North Pole. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. What, it's, so, like, it's amazing that the planets aligned at the time. You know, first yep. misfired shots, amazing. I mean, goodness me. No wonder you didn't want to take it any further because, crikey, just getting away with that is incredible. And then that moment of, well, who am I? What do I want to do? I love that. And then the, the fact that this guy should be doing the Three Peaks Challenge just, at a moment when you're thinking about getting outdoors again yeah yeah now you've ended up at the north pole you say yes it was really weird how that came about so about a year or so year and a half or so after um after that incident a friend of mine um he was shot and killed he was shot in the back and this guy was he was an absolute gem he he, he wasn't a troubled troublesome guy he you know he worked at a local leisure center as a lifeguard um, 
he played football for, for Redbridge and Dagenham. He was really focused and he had a lot going for him. And about 15, 20 metres from where that guy pulled a gun on me, um, he was shot in the back. Some people in a car just drove up to him and another friend and said, uh, are you guys from around here? And then they reached out of the car and just um, fired from a gun and he was shot in the back while he was trying to run away. Oh. And again, that sparked something inside me. It made me think to myself, well, look, I need to do something to change behaviours or to influence behaviours in, in a different way to maybe how they've been influenced in the past. Oh. And funny enough, um, around that time, I saw a programme about uh, a, a group or, or which featured a group called Mothers Against Violence. Right. And I remember watching, I remember watching and all these mothers kept saying, you know, uh, young Johnny was a really good guy, was amazing, but he got mixed up with the wrong crowd or he was influenced, he had bad influences. And, and I thought, I need to do something. I've got the mentality now that I want to do something. I'm going to actively try and make a difference. Uh, a few weeks later, I saw Ben Fogel and James Cracknell on BBC Breakfast talking about their uh, adventure of rowing across the Atlantic. And I wow. thought, wow oh, I wonder if I could row across the Atlantic. And in the next breath, they said something which amazed me even more, which is, well, now we're going to be walking to the South Pole and we're looking yeah. for a third member of the team. And I promise you, Pollyanna, it sounded like they said, Dwayne, <laughs> you want to come to the South Pole with us? Oh and for me, that was when my interest was sparked. And I, I applied a few weeks later and they said, unfortunately, selections have started, so it wouldn't be fair to put you in the running now. Would you consider going to the, to the North Pole um, with this organization? And I thought, mm, at this stage, a pole's a pole. Yeah, why not? Uh -huh. And that's what kind of ushered me in the direction of the North Pole. Wow. Wow, that's so cool. But now you're doing, um, I mean, obviously you found, you re-found yourself, you're in a child in the outdoors, yep. but now you, you are actively bringing that to other kids, aren't you? You're encouraging yeah. other kids and you're an ambassador for um, Scout Movement. Tell us yep. a little bit more about how you're doing that. Oh, right. So I, I engage with people. So I do a lot of mentoring and I do a lot of speaking. I visit schools and youth clubs and youth groups and colleges. And I talk to people about, uh, about my own experience. And I think when you speak with someone who can relate to some of the things that you've experienced in life, it's easier to listen to that person and to maybe uh, feel uh, some kind of synergy or parallel with that person. So a lot of the young people, I speak to especially when I go to I don't know B6 college or other youth clubs in city inner city areas and I say to them look I was stabbed at one point I have two stab wounds on my body um, one in my lower stomach and one just up here um, I know what it feels like and I know the anger that you feel afterwards mm -hmm. but you know what this is what I did and it didn't escalate the problem um, I can have a dialogue with someone, whereas, I don't know, your Ben Fogels of this world will never be able to hold conversations like that with someone because they can't see it from that person's perspective. They don't know what it feels like to have other people putting pressure on you and saying, um, we should go and get this person, or this is what we're going to do to to get revenge. Um, they will never be able to express how it feels to have that kind of pressure on them. And I think I'm in a privileged position because I went through it well, I came through it, I should say, and uh, I think I came through it and was all the better for it. Um, rising or okay, I didn't choose to experience it, but because I did and I came through it, um, I think it's my duty now to 
guide others through that stage of their life. And the Scouts is an amazing movement. They do nothing but good. Um, I think I genuinely believe that the Scouts is a force for great things. And if we're going to make a better world for the future, we need to start with the young kids. And if we can instill um, the ethos and the behaviours and the sense of responsibility and confidence in them that the Scouts tries to do, I think that's how we build a better future. Definitely. And I think if I use that and I use um, my experiences and the platform I now have, uh, as well as the outdoor experience and what that brings to me, if I use it all and put in a ball and deliver it to young people, then surely some of them uh, will take something from it. I think, like I said, I think it's my duty. It's now my role. It's my job. It's my calling. And I enjoy it. I absolutely enjoy it. Wonderful. Wonderful. It's so cool. I love that you're doing that. I mean, I, I was a girl guide. I was a brownie and a girl guide, but um, which is part of the, the Baden-Powell thing, but it's not, um, it's not um, scouts. But I know girls can join the scouts now, can't they? So Yes, they can. And it's not that. Do you know what I think it is? I think being part of something is really important to a child. And whether it's girls, guides, scouts, um, whatever that format falls under, whatever title the format falls under, as long as it's instilling a positive message and letting you know as a kid that you're worthwhile you what you say matters how you feel matters and you can impact other people i think anything that falls under that umbrella is a good thing a lot of the young people that i come across especially the ones that grew up in my area we in essence raised each other um we were raised by the older kids and then we wanted to be what they were we wanted to be part of what they were part of um, and I think if we can get the kids while they're young, you know, five, six, seven, eight years old and instill them the things that I mentioned before, you know, responsibility, duty, um, identity, confidence, all these amazing things, humanity. Um, if we can teach them those lessons from early, they'll go and spread it to their siblings and their peers and the world will become a better place. And it's as simple as that. And that's why that's what I really, really want to want to achieve. Wonderful, love that. I certainly remember working towards my badges and the the feeling when you get your badge and you walk up yes. and you extra yes. on sash. It's it is such a lovely yeah. feeling. And then there's and take, nothing like it. Yeah, nothing take, like it. Taking part in the parades and things like that. You know, being part of a group. I remember mm. um, polishing. They they used to have a little trefoil at the top of the the banner. Yes. And I even yes. polishing that and making it as sparkly as I could. And yeah, so. I, and I can tell from your face that there was a sense of pride in being part of that. Look, we're yeah. a social animal. We need, we need to feel like we are part of something. And I became somebody else just to feel like I was part of something. And oh. I can't be the only kid that did that. And I don't want another kid to go through what I went through. I, I hated every second of it. I hated the fact that, um, I felt like I was different. I hated the fact that every time I looked in the mirror, um, I, I, I was seeing a kid who was out of place. Um, I always believed that my place was in the wilderness somewhere. And now I was in a city. Um, it was scary. It was massive. It was, it was big. And at the same time, it was claustrophobic. Um, and no one identified that I was really anxious. And, you know, nowadays we talk about, a lot about childhood depression. And a lot of the things that, um, that, that we mentioned in line with that, um, I remember feeling and experiencing at the time. And I, I don't know, I just, it was such a difficult time and I don't want another kid to go through it. If I can help them, it's again, it's my duty to do it. Yeah, yeah. I love what you're doing. And I think the, the more us, us, adult, us adults do have a responsibility yes. 
to create these environments for kids to mm -hmm. to achieve things you know yes. um and to, to practice kindness within you know to each mm -hmm. other and see us being kind to them so that they feel like they've got the confidence to be able to speak up about what's bothering them or what exactly. they're trying to struggle to understand um and then like you say the more kindness and goodwill we can put out there that it, it should grow and, and like you say an older brother can their younger siblings and so on yes. and so forth definitely yes so i had an interesting conversation yesterday um there was a friend of mine and we were speaking he grew up in the same place that i grew up and we were speaking about someone else that he as he was walking in he said oh i've just seen so and so i said oh how are they he goes oh i'm not sure i don't think they're doing too well i said well what's the problem he said i don't know and we eventually got to the we eventually got to the point where he said i don't know he should just listen to you um and i said well what do you mean he goes well when you said that we need to do our own thing and just go off and make you know be responsible i said yeah but i was just saying and that was the point where i realized how powerful my words were from even back then and the fact that he said that to me he's never said it to me before i had a sense of pride thinking well that's you kind of giving a nod to me it's almost like you saying thanks for, for being there for me and i really got a sense of pride for it and i just thought to myself well look imagine how many kids the scouts is 50 million strong worldwide now we're 400 plus thousand in the uk um Imagine how many families and other young people are touched by the Scouts and touched by the ethos and touched by our mantra, which is help each other and support as many kids as we can get feeling like they've got support and feeling like they've got help and feeling like they've got someone who's got their back. That's what we need. Yeah, totally, totally. I love that. I love that it's come full circle so that you can recognise the goodness that you put out in the world because you, you clearly have um, helped help lots more people than you probably even realize so yeah i mean uh, it, it's not a one-way thing though um i was in hospital recently and i had a text message from a really super cool guy i'm not going to say his name super cool guy everyone knows who he is i had a text message all it said was Dwayne. i heard you're in hospital um we've got your back and i said thanks and then he sent me another text saying mate no worries whatever you need let me know and i thought that's really cool and it was the part where it said we've got your back uh, he's he's well known in the scouts as well and it just made me think yeah this is exactly what life should be about if you're in hospital just send me a message let me know you're there and it made me feel so much better awesome that's so cool very very cool yeah i love that i love the message i love the radiating goodness as much as you can looking after each other being kind to each other raising each other up definitely exactly exactly and who knows um in a year or two when we've got more people doing more kind things we won't be hearing reports like we heard in the radio this morning that now london's had the highest number of murders for 10 years um my aim is just to keep working towards stopping that and i, I don't know exactly how i'm going to do it but i think by carrying on with what i've started using again my experiences in the past and sharing what's happened and sharing how i came through it and what i've done to overcome it and how it's made me feel and how i feel now in comparison to how i felt when i was being somebody else i think um as long as i keep beating that drum someone will listen and it can only get better i mean i, I can't imagine it getting much worse sure sure 100 percent. now I, I believe i say at the end of each video and i i believe that you're 
your story and your voice has the ability to help someone. And I think anyone watching this that is thinking, oh, well, you know, Dwayne's got an amazing story or whoever else they may have watched has got an amazing story. Who am I to stand up? I think we've all, we've all got a responsibility to stand up. We've all got something to Absolutely. say. And, and mm-hmm. I don't think anyone should be um, hiding their light. In fact, do you know, I think there's this, a guide song I remember about hide your light, hide it under a bush. Oh no, I'm going to let it, sh- I'm going to try and remember that. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I won't sing now and embarrass myself, but yeah, it's definitely it's that song, song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Yeah. It's not this that song, is it? Light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. Yeah, I, I'm not a good singer. <laughs> yeah, it's... <laughs> <laughs> I love, I love, I love your dance. I love it. Should, that's like um, what's his name? Um, what's that guy's name? He does the Gangnam Style. That's the new Gangnam oh, yeah. Style. <laughs> oh dear, I never, I never learned it. the dance for that. I'm afraid. <laughs> Me neither. Not publicly, anyway. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so yeah, you're, much. You're absolutely welcome. Story, it's brilliant. I'm so pleased that you are number 100 on this challenge. Uh, I'm super thank honest. You so much. Thank you for your time. And uh, yeah, I just. Do you know? I think what you're doing is amazing. I think. I think. Um, I think having a platform to share positive stories is something that's needed, and necessary, and especially when it's coming from someone who's had their own experiences so they know the power of a positive story and they know the power of what their um, experiences has had on them so thank you for doing this i think it's amazing so there you have it the amazing Dwayne fields what an incredible story and what an amazing role model he is if you like this episode then please do like and share it with everyone you think who may benefit from hearing it and if you'd like to continue the conversation then head over to instagram twitter facebook or youtube and i'll look forward to catching up with you there just search at be glad movement and you should be able to find us and of course i'm looking for more stories so if you do know anyone willing to share then please do put us in touch Like we said before, your story and your voice really does have the ability to help someone in their time of need. The Be Glad Movement podcast is free to listen to, but if you did want to support me in raising money for the Samaritans, feel free to head over to beglad.co.uk and use the link provided to donate. Your contribution will be so gratefully received and appreciated. And while you're there, why not sign up for my newsletter? Don't worry, I'm not going to bombard you with emails. I don't write them that often. I'll just let you know if there are any events that I'm organising or I'm attending and I'd like to keep you in the loop. So with so much love, you've been listening to Pollyanna and Dwayne Fields on the Be Glad Movement. I'll catch you in the next episode.